Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But, you know, I, after revival meeting, I noticed this morning, and I, every revival meeting this happens, you know, and people come in here and they're dragging on, on that Sunday morning. Whatever reason, I don't know, but it just seems like they're dragging that Sunday. I, uh, you, we used to go through Friday night. We moved that back to Thursday. And said, well, maybe, you know, they can be a Muslim on Friday and have a day of rest. And a Jew on Saturday have a day of rest. They'll be ready for Sunday. But for some reason, that doesn't happen. Uh, but um, uh, it, just, it just happens that uh, people are very tired. And I can think of the pastor telling the story of the mother had a little seven-year-old in church sitting near the front. And that little guy was just fidgety and talking out the, about half the service through. She was trying to straighten them out. Nothing seemed to work. Preacher's up there trying to preach, and it just seems like that little boy moving around and making noise just was a problem. Finally, she leaned over and said something to him, and that boy just froze, set up, and didn't move the, or speak the rest of the service. Pastor was impressed. When he got done, he says, I just have to ask you, what did you say to him that made him just stop fidgeting and be quiet? I told him that you were halfway through, and if he kept talking, you would lose your place, and you'd have to start over. <laughs> so I want you to know, I'm going to go by that. That just sounds like wisdom, all right? Okay, our text is First Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, should I say, verses 5 through 7. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, before we have a word of prayer, just kind of a quick review. Jesus did everything that needed to be done for your salvation. You cannot do one thing to add to your salvation. Jesus did it all. Our responsibility is faith. To act on faith for what he did in faith we receive him. As many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. And when we act in faith and receive him as our Lord and Savior. That very moment we're saved. Now, that doesn't end it there, okay? Just because we've got people saved this week doesn't mean, okay, that's all we need to be concerned about. No, uh, they need to grow in the Lord next, okay? And so he says, add to your faith, what do you say? Virtue. What is virtue? Well, that is that trustworthiness, that is that purity, that is that person who is, uh, can be, you can take their word for what it is and know that they'll stand behind it. It's just a person that is completely trustworthy. They have virtue. They're going to be uh, moral in all their dealings with their fellow man. And then to virtue is to add knowledge. Okay, this is the growth in your Christian life. You get into the Word of God. You start out in the milk of the Word of God. Then you start adding meat and you begin to grow in the Lord. As you grow in the Lord, your faith will grow and your virtue will grow. But God has laid this out for us the way he wants it laid out for us. So we start with faith. Then that faith will grow as we uh, live virtuously. And that faith and virtue grows as we grow in the knowledge of God and his word. Okay, so that's uh, the steps we take. Now tonight, 
We'll be starting on the next thing there as we see it there in verse 6 and to knowledge temperance. But let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to delve into your word tonight. I pray that thy Holy Ghost would just make everything clear as we seek to teach your word as it is to men as they are in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, he said to add to our knowledge temperance. If we're going to fulfill the call of God, as verse 3 says, to glory and virtue, then having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, we need to add temperance. What is temperance? Temperance is a very simple definition. It is doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, and it's not doing what you're not supposed to do. Okay, that's that's simple. People like to say, well, it's self-control. Okay, it's that as well, but it's really doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, not doing what you're not supposed to do. That makes sense, and and it pretty well uh, is agrees, especially with the Greek, but also it's just the definition, the idea of the word. Now, having said that, uh, this requires the exercise of self-control on our part. if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we find out that temperance is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So, if you don't add these things here in verses 5 through 7, then you'll be someone who is, has left something out of the recipe that helps to have revival in a church and a community. Because... It'll show that we're not what we're professing to be. A Christian needs to be growing in these things. Now, don't allow the fleshly desire and appetites to be dominant in, in you. Now, there are so many things we can go into. We can talk about food. Uh, we can talk about um, gossip. We, we could talk about uh, sowing discord among the brethren. Uh, Talk about homosexuality. By the way, God put, I didn't, I did not do this, okay? I get blamed for a lot of things, but I did not do this. God did. I can blame, you can blame him, but he put homosexuality on the same level as sowing discord. That's, that's pretty strong, isn't it? And yet, that's the way he does it. It can be alcohol. It can be just plain old laziness. Now, again, often, uh, people want to say something about this or that. Well, I didn't like that, or I didn't like this. I don't like the music. I don't like the pastor. I don't like the administration. I don't like the deacon. I don't like the teacher. And and the first question always to ask is, what did they say when you went to them to talk to them? Because 99% of the times, I've told you before, they're not talking to the person that they're having a problem with or that they see as a problem. They're going to tell everybody else. So God right there condemns that person on the level of homosexuality because they're sowing discord going to other people. Okay? Now, the second thing, though, there's a second question to that. Does this concern you in such a way that you're the person that's supposed to go to other people and tell them? Again, 99 times out of 100, the answer is no. And so what is wrong with that Christian? Well, he lacks temperance. That Christian lacks temperance. They lack self-control. They just got to do it. Uh, But then there's 
procrastination, probably procrastination is uh, the biggest thing about temperance, not doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. And is uh, the thing of the tongue, uh, I think, fits right in there with it. The tongue and, and procrastination. You know, we can usually eliminate many of these failures if we'll learn to schedule ourselves. Schedule yourself to read the Word of God. You know, it can be the first thing when you get up every morning. It can be at a certain time. Schedule yourself. If you fail to schedule, then you schedule to fail. Make it as important as having breakfast. Now, I I remember hearing one preacher saying, no Bible, no breakfast. No breakfast? Then I better get in the Bible. Okay, so uh, there, there are those that have that. But it ought to be a part of your life. It ought to be very active in your life. The, the Word of God needs to be there. So again, uh, temperance makes myself do what I'm supposed to do when, when, when I'm supposed to do it. Now, remember, our bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost. When you got saved, your body became a temple of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever thought of the importance of that? In, in the Old Testament, you had to talk to a priest and he'd go inside the temple and pray for you. You had to make a sacrifice and go pray for you. My goodness. And only a priest could do that. Now the great thing, when we got saved, he made us priest. And I can go straight to the Lord. I don't have to go through some man, the only priest I go through is the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go through him and we find access through him. What a great thing. You're temples of the Holy Ghost, the Bible tells us. And so, again, remember, you're saved. Then nothing of our dress, modesty, should take away from presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Our speech, our dress, our actions. Too many Christians are trying to justify uh, acts of the flesh. And how do they do that? They will attack Bible standards and holy living by calling it legalism. But understand this, and I've said this before, so let me say it again. Worship and Christ-likeness are no longer worship and Christ-likeness when it reflects the world around us more than it does Christ in us. If we are temples of the Holy Ghost, then the God, Christ, should be reflected in us more than anything else. Um, we need to be honest with ourselves. Just be honest with yourself. Say, you know what? The problem with my Christian life is that I prefer to walk in compromise with the world and the flesh. I don't want to stand out as a person who, who takes a stand for Jesus Christ. And because of that stand for Jesus Christ, he seems to be an enemy of the world and the flesh. If you stand for Jesus Christ, the world and the flesh will consider you an enemy. Because all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You, you persecute those that you don't like. You persecute the enemy. The world will attack. But look, we're on the winning side. We stand with Jesus Christ. Read the book. We win. So again, let's decide, hey, I'm going to stand with Jesus Christ. 
Because if we're not, then our Christian life can become a recipe for failure of revival. Even though the meetings go greatly and many make decisions, the recipe to that failure can be we abandon those decisions in a short period of time. Many times the problems of lacking temperance, which is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, as we said, but it's also a character value that we each should have. It is that we're just not in the Word of God. We're just simply not meditating in God's Word. It's just not a part of our lives as it should be. Too often what Christians are doing is they're searching for loopholes in the Scripture to get around. Not doing that. Back in the 1930s, there's a famous uh, comedian that everybody just loved to watch his uh, movies and things like that. His name was W.C. Fields, and he was a funny man. But W.C. Fields was an atheist, supposedly. Very, very eccentric type of man. But he ended up in a rest home. I think it was in Alabama, if I remember the story correctly. But one of his old friends come looking for him and found him in the rest home. And when they walked in, he was there reading a Bible. They knew that he was an atheist. And he's reading a Bible. He says, he said, what are you doing? You're, you've got a Bible. He says, I'm looking for loopholes now. Because he knew the day was near for his death. So he really wasn't an atheist, was he? Now, again, I'm saying that to say this. Quit looking for loopholes because if you belong to Jesus Christ, we're not trying to be like the world. We're trying to be like Christ. Jesus Christ. Christian means Christ-like. And so we've got to understand that uh, one day we're going to appear before him. First John 2.28, our evangelist uh, referred to that in his preaching. That you're either going to be ashamed at his appearing or have confidence at his appearing. What I think of one of the biggest problems with Christians is that there are sins that go unconfessed or things that are not made right with others because, oh boy, that's going to be embarrassing or uh, that's going to cause bad results here now. And so, you know, I'll just take it in heaven because it won't be as bad there. Don't, don't you think the shame's going to be greater in heaven? Because it might be between you and a person, it might be between you and several people, but in heaven, all of those there are going to know what it is. He said, well, I thought he hid my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. Yeah. But you see, when we get there in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we find out that we're judged as Christians according to our works, whether they be good or bad. 1 Corinthians 4.5, also talking to Christians, is saying that the secret things will be made known. You know, you say, oh, how do I get around that? Well, make the things right now. Make them right in this life, and you won't have to face it in the life to come. You won't have to face it with your children. You won't have to face it with your friends. You won't have to face it with your parents. You won't have to face it with all those things because you've made it right in this life. So, add temperance to your life. Next, we're to add to temperance patience. Patience. The Greek word for patience means to abide under. We're to grow in the knowledge of doctrine and we get God's direction. And how do we get that? Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. It shows me myself. 
and a light into my path. It shows me the direction I need to go. And so that's where we go to the word of God and, and doctrine. And then having added that knowledge, we need the tenacity of abiding under or enduring. Quitters are not patient. When things get tough, and just like Jesus Christ felt, we are forsaken and we're attacked by those who are supposed to be with us and support us. Then stand. I mean, there goes, there's going to be Judas's in everybody's life. But also, there are trials of life in sickness and finances and tragedies. Changes of circumstances. That will call into question your patience in faith. Your patience in virtue, your patience in knowledge, your patience in temperance, and staying true. Do you see how these things are building one upon another? The Lord laid that out for our lives. He's trying to help us. He's given us his Holy Spirit to help us in this, in his word. On the one hand, we think of all the things that go wrong. But if we quit then we don't have commitment. Do you know God's will for your life? And are you doing it? You see, some people have never sought God to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Everybody thinks, well, if you're talking about seeking God's will, you're talking about being a missionary or a preacher uh, or something of that nature. No. God said that we're all lights in the world. You may be called to be an engineer. You may be called to work in, in retail. You may be called to work in so many different things. But wherever you're called, find out, Lord, is that where you want me? If so, then be a light there. Ask God how he would use you in the local church. And do it. Do you realize that when we stand before the Lord, blaming how others acted will not hold water with him as to why we quit? And we did not do what God called us to do because your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ is personal. Look, I could go off the deep end and, and just do everything. I could do drugs. I could get drinking and I could do all kinds of terrible things. That should not shake your faith at all because your faith is not to be in Brother Andy. It is to be in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Keep it there. Circumstances will change. But know God's will and you just keep on doing it until Jesus comes and learn how to play injured. You know, that's what it is. So often we'll get uh, our feelings hurt and we want to give up or just not give it our all. You don't know how to play injured. It was uh, several years ago, there was a Super Bowl game. It was the last minute. The team was on defense. I think they were ahead, but the other team was driving down. They were on the go. They were moving the ball like they were going to get a touchdown and win the game at the end. And this defensive end came walking off the field with about one minute to go in the game and everything hanging into balance. The coach says, what's wrong? He said, coach, I'm tired. He said, it's the Super Bowl. There's just one minute to go. I don't care. I'm tired. 
He says, you may not ever get in a Super Bowl again. I'm tired. Now, I, I can't remember, to be honest with you, whether they won that game or not. But that coach said, you know, this defensive end was one of the top defensive ends in the game at the time. And he just said, I'm tired when everything was on the line. And it shocked the coach. But how about when everything's on the line for us and we abandon the Lord and we abandon the game, we abandon the call that he's given us? That is worse than the guy walking out of the game when his team is depending on him. The Lord is depending on us. For some, there's so many things that just can affect them. A little headache, a pain. Or something else can keep them out of church. But that same pain or that same headache won't keep them out of work. It won't keep them from going to that special event they want to go to. It won't keep them from that place they want to visit. But it will keep them out of church. You're only fooling yourself. And you may fool some people. But I tell you what, you're definitely not fooling the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and yet we expect Jesus to accept excuses that we know the world won't. Do we think that he's dumber than the world? <laughs> Our God is omniscient. He not only knows everything, he knows you are very inner man. He knows my inner man. And I'm saying... Too many succumb to trial or circumstances. And we're going to have them. But when you know the will of God. And you're saying to yourself. I don't know how much longer I can take this. I just don't understand how all of this happened. Everything at once. Then your faith. Your virtue. Your knowledge. Is not focused on Jesus Christ and his word. Now it has turned to self. And that will always spell failure. Again, Jesus commended the patience of Job. I don't think any of us have suffered like Job did. But let's go beyond that. You will never suffer more in this life and all the problems that you have than Jesus Christ suffered to save your soul, to save my soul. We'll never suffer that much. So I am so glad he didn't quit. I'm so glad he didn't let up. Aren't you? Sometimes the trials are tests that God has allowed. Not because people are opposed to you. Not because of... Uh, some supposed or actual problems. He's just allowed that thing. And your faith will be tested because that faith can only be a faith worth having. It can only be something that is your inter intimate possession through conflict. Faith 
is built on the blood and resurrection and righteousness of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You do not grow in faith. You do not grow in virtue. You do not grow in, in, in knowledge. And, and you'll never have the temperance and patience to endure valiantly for our Lord. If the fruit of the Spirit is not present or full in your life. Do you believe that he will never leave thee nor forsake thee? If we truly believe that, then quitting is unbelief. Now, I'm not talking about quitting church. I'm talking about quitting the separated from the world walk and being separated unto the Lord. And and both those things, those statements are important. It is important that we're separated from the world. We're to be different. I'm to be different from a man that is a moral man, that's a good, upstanding citizen, but he's unsaved. I'm to be different from him because I'm separated from the world. Love his soul. Try to bring him to Christ. But there should be a difference between me and him. But I'm just not separated from the world. I'm to be separated unto God. Do you realize so often we talk about separation, we forget that part? We are to be separated unto God. And what does God want to use? He wants to use holy vessels. And so we have to have that commitment. We have to have that walk with him. And he will do his part because he has never failed us and he will never, never, never fail you. So we need to grow in these things. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we read there that uh, there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Have you ever thought about that? What does he mean, a way of escape that I may be able to bear it? Sometimes the Lord doesn't take your problem away. Instead, he gives you the strength in your shoulders to carry it. How about Galatians 6, 9? And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Patience. Patience. We may never know the purpose, but we do know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Again, quitting is unbelief. Then in adding this staying power to your faith with all these other things, add to it godliness. You know what? Godliness is exactly what it says here. It means that's what it means when he says godliness. It means God-likeness. This addresses the issues of purity, goodness, grace, agape love, humbleness. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who went in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself uh, of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And just like Abraham had to have faith that the Lord would raise Isaac if he offered him on, a, on an altar, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He died there. 
but he believed the resurrection and he endured it for the glory that was set before him. A person that is godly is just as it says here in 1 John 2, 6, that we are to walk even as he walked. We're to be uh, imitators of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I remember several years ago, remember when Michael Jordan was playing basketball? Great player, I mean great player. But he had one habit. That tongue would be hanging out every time he was driving the ball or anything, shooting. He'd have that tongue hanging out. I have no idea why he did that. But he'd have his tongue hanging out. Do you know how many high school kids bit their tongues trying to imitate Michael Jordan? I mean, crazy. I I can remember as a little boy, uh, football seems to be the pastime now, but when I was a little boy, baseball was the uh, pastime. You know, everybody talked about baseball, football, and basketball were things that occupied the off-season. And, and everybody's a baseball fan. But one of the things you could always see about baseball players, professional baseball players, you'd even sit in those old black and white photos they had and so forth. There'd always be a little stream going down their, both sides of their mouth. You'd see them up the plate to hit the ball. You know? And, and that, that chick would be way out there like that, and they were chewing tobacco. Now, of course, little kids didn't chew tobacco. But you remember Sugar Babies, the candy? Man, we get that thing put in our mouth and, you know, and, and get ready. We would imitate that. Man, we felt cool, man. You look at that. And it was always good if you got, your mouth got so wet, you just got a little bit flowing down like the major leaguers do, you know. I mean, that was great. I used to watch young preachers. Years ago, they would, Jack Howells and Tom Malone, great men of God. People that were, came out of Tom Malone's ministry, they'd be doing this the whole time they'd preach. Well, Jack Howells, he'd be preaching, you know, and he had problems with his throat. So there's preacher boys coming out. You know, and that's the way they preach. You know, is, what I'm saying is that we have a tendency to imitate the bad things instead of what's good. But if you imitate Jesus, you'll never imitate anything bad. You're not to imitate a preacher. Imitate the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read this in, in verses 21 through 23. He says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now, that's quite an example that I haven't always been successful in following. But that's the example we're to follow. Is godliness important? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. And, and though I should have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. If your godliness is right, then you'll see that in our text, it leads to brotherly kindness, charity, agape, love. And if not, we're not godly. If we don't have brotherly kindness, then we've got to have agape to have the brotherly kindness. If you're lacking brotherly kindness, it's because you're lacking agape. You're not allowing God to love through you as he wants to love through you. Brotherly love will always go to a person of whom he thinks is wrong without making excuses and seek to make things right. You see, it's Satan who is the false accuser. It is Satan that makes accusations because of something that people see and say, all right, there it is, okay, this is it. And they'll make all kind of deductions. Those are people not right with God. Who falsely accuse others, yet they don't go to those they've accused. That is not brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is as the church's collection for the poor at Jerusalem. And so for us, we open our houses. For an example, we ha- we'll have a missions conference, and, and there are several that will open their house so that the missionaries can stay with them. Sometimes you might have a college uh, crew coming through, and, and these Christian kids in Christian college trying to work their way through, and they open their houses and, and let the Christian college kids come in there and stay with them. And others just open their houses to other people and, and, and things of that nature because they're God's people. It's brotherly kindness. Even though they don't know them that well, it's brotherly kindness. Then you add to brotherly kindness. Look again there at our text. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Again, that's the Greek word agape. The love with only that God is able to love through us. We don't have love ourselves We've got to let him be full within us to love this way. And then it becomes faith. It's been willing as Abraham to offer that which is precious to him. The rich young ruler said, Lord, what do I need to do? He says, well, you know the commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit. Oh, I've done all this for my... Youth up. Oh, I'm great. What, what else do I lack? You know what? In that he had to ask the question, what do I lack? He realized he lacked something. And the Lord said, okay, sell all that thou hast, give to the poor, and come follow me. What the Lord was trying to tell him, your money is more important to you. You, you do have a problem with the idea of lusting for money, lusting for other things. You have a problem of the, the things of this world are far more important than the things of God when it comes down to it. And he finds that out, and he finds it out the hard way. Now look, uh, these seven qualities are very important. 
They're very important for the Christian life. They are indispensable for your faith, but you build it up. You build it up just like he says here. Faith. What do we add to our faith? Virtue. What do we add to virtue? Knowledge. What do we add to uh, knowledge? Then we add their uh, temperance. And to temperance, patience. To patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Why? Because these things, verse 8 says, keeps you from falling. You mean losing my salvation? No. It keeps you from coming to that person that's saved so as by fire and that's ashamed at his appearing. That's what it keeps you from. Now look, we're Christians. I was sharing with Brother Gary Neron today that each of us as Christians can, can profane the name of the Lord. But one thing that we cannot shame, one thing we cannot profane is his purity. His purity cannot be polluted by us for he is unspotted. We can attack his purity, but that's only profaning his name. His purity is unspotted from this world. Sinful Christians ruin themselves by studying a way to baffle their own convictions that they might do the things the world does. And they end up just like Paul, the apostle, before his salvation. They're kicking against the pricks that's convicting them in their life. Why is it people can watch the news, read the news, and say, man, that, that upsets me. I, I don't like that at all. You say, well, that's pretty good. Man, that's, that's something bad there, and that upsets them. But let the preacher hit their sin. Maybe that's a social drinking thing. And the preacher hits that sin of social drinking, smoking, or something like that. Oh, what's wrong with that preacher? He's a legalist. You see, we're not as mad at sin as what we think we are. But in being mad at sin, don't stop there. That's being separate from the world. Be separated unto God. Love holiness. Love righteousness. What is righteousness? That's obeying God. So what do we do? We're in the Word. We seek the souls of men. We try to edify our fellow believers. If you want to grow in Christ, perhaps you made a decision during this revival meeting. Many of you came and made it at this altar. Others might have done it in your seat or at home. But if you don't start adding these things to your life, you'll abandon those in a very short period of time. Add to your faith, your saving faith, all these things. Don't look at the circumstances. Don't look at the bad things that go on around you. Keep focused on Jesus Christ and his word. Let's bow our heads, please.